Okay, Hosea 13. Hosea 13 tonight. Um, appreciate all of you also praying for my family and praying for the kids. I do believe, uh, do believe prayer can move mountains, and I believe that your prayer is uh, doing something. So thank you for that, and we need it. Yes, pray for the upcoming hearing on the 17th. And, um, you know, I have the confidence of just knowing we're going to start in Hosea 13 and start in uh, verse 9. I have the confidence in knowing that I've prayed over this whole thing. And so having prayed for it, then I know that it's covered. And so in a sense, I just, I just go through it. I just do what needs to be done, and I try to make choices the best that I can with the wisdom and praying through things, but after making the choices, I just trust that what happens, it's, it's the Lord's will, whatever happens. So pray for that, and uh, pray for these kids, because it's, it's involving the rest of their lives and, and all of that. And uh, pray we can all get along real good as a family in the home. Pray, pray, pray for Lucas and the, and the other kids. And things are going pretty good right now, um, but uh, we cover your prayers. Uh, Hosea 13, verse 9. Okay, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. So the Lord says to to Israel, you've done this to yourself. But at the same time, the Lord says, I would like you to to remember, I want to remind you that I'm the only one that can help you. And uh, your gods are that you're worshiping and Baal and Molech and all of those gods that uh, the Canaanites worship, they're not going to be able to help you with what's coming when the Assyrians come. I'm the only one that can help you. And God is trying to plead with them to get them to turn. Um, And he's saying, you're destroying yourself. You brought this on yourself. That's a personal responsibility of the thing. And uh, in verse 10, I will be thy king. Now that's future. That hasn't happened yet. We're going to talk about tonight about the kingdom, the millennial kingdom. He says, I will be thy king. At this point, he wasn't. He was not the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten-tribe kingdom of northern Israel. He was not the king. Hosea was the king when uh, the Assyrians came in, and they had rejected God long ago. So he says, I will be. So if that doesn't happen, then God is not a a God of his word, if I can say that, if that doesn't happen. So it's got to happen. It's yet future. And he's going to be the king of a nation, of a people called Israel, not the new Israel of the church. That is a false teaching. That's a misrepresentation of the, of the scriptures. So where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities and thy judges of whom thou saidest, give me a king? And princes, I gave thee a king in my anger, and we looked at some of this stuff, but just kind of reading and catching back up again, and took him away in my wrath, talking about Saul. That was the first king of Israel. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up, his sin is hid, and as best as I can understand, that's talking about hiding his sin uh, through the tribulation, but I don't totally understand that. So I just come out and said that, and I figure you'd appreciate my honesty. 
the sorrows of a travailing woman. Now that I do understand. Whenever you read about a travailing woman, that's talking about tribulation. Uh, that's that's, that's a, a type of Israel in the tribulation, a travailing woman. And that's, that's Israel giving birth. Uh, and it's a rebirth of the nation. And, you know, uh, that's, that's, that is travailing, isn't it? Travailing in birth. That's a terrible time from everything I've heard about it over all these years. And uh, that's a good picture of the tribulation, which is going to be a painful and a uh, time that just kind of seizes Israel all at once and uh, comes on them in, in, strong, in a strong way like that. The sorrows of a travailing woman shall come upon him. If you underline in your Bible, underline him. Because it's not saying the sorrows of a travailing woman will come upon her. This is not just uh, a, 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 like a, an analogy or something like that. This is talking about not really a travailing woman. Israel is called a woman. Israel is also called a son. So they're both, so both a, a male reference and a female reference works. But it says, sorrow of the travailing woman come upon him. That's the Jews. The nation of Israel come upon him. Um, this is Israel in great trouble during the Great Tribulation. And Israel will be born in a day. Let's finish out that verse and then let's run some references. He is an unwise son, for he should not stay long in the place of the breaking forth of children. Why won't he stay long in the place of the breaking forth of children? Again, this is referring to the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Why won't he stay long? Because it happens all at once. The place of the breaking forth, it's all at once. And Israel is born in a day. Okay, Isaiah 66, 7. And I understand you might be saying, yeah, but you could be in labor for a long time. But I'm talking about when you actually give birth. The place of breaking forth. It's all at once. And Israel is born in a day. So let's look at Isaiah 66, 7. And uh, the Scripture is the best commentary on Scripture. This is the best way to study the Bible. This is, this is the right way. What we're doing right now is the right way. For us to actually take the Bible, turn in your Bible, look at the verses, make markings, underline things, put it together, and, and let Scripture speak to Scripture, spiritual things with spiritual, because you can, you can find all kinds of different things that Bible teachers are saying about this stuff, depending on how many commentaries you read. You can find all kinds of different things. You can find different private interpretations depending on what your eschatology is, depending on whether you're on one side or on the other side, or Protestant or Catholic, all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I don't want to know what some man says. I want to know what the book says. So I'm going to compare Scripture to Scripture and get God's commentary on the thing. Israel will be reborn in a day, Isaiah 66, verse 7. Okay, it says here, Before she travailed... She brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? Yeah, this one will be. For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. 
Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, saith the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith thy God? Rejoice ye with Jerusalem, and be glad with her. All ye that love her, rejoice for joy with her. All ye that mourn for her, that ye may suck and be satisfied with the breasts of her consolations, that ye may milk out and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. That is, she's going to be a blessing to the whole world. She's going to provide for the entire world, Israel will. And for thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. You sing the old hymn, I've got peace like a river. That's a good one, and we haven't sang out for a long time. And the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream, and they shall, uh, then shall ye suck. Ye shall be born upon her sides and be dandled upon her knees. It's talking about Israel being a, ble- a blessing to the whole world. Now, folks, you're in Isaiah 66. There's a whole lot that Isaiah has been saying before this. And it's interesting to note, how many books are there in the Bible? 66. It's interesting to note, if you follow Isaiah, he follows pretty well with the 66 books of the Bible. So when you're looking at chapter 1 in there, you're right around Genesis territory. You get to 66, you're right around Revelation territory. And what he's talking about there is the very same things that that the Lord talks about in Revelation. The book you hold in your hands is an incredible book. But again, you wouldn't get that if I was just reading to you comments of some, uh, some commentary I was reading. Born in a day, okay? So it says there that they're going to be born in a day. Now, did that happen in 1948, May of 1948? Yes, but not like it's going to happen. It's not completely fulfilled. So it's going to happen in a day during the tribulation. But it did happen. I mean, there was a six-day war, and bam, you got, you got a nation. But that is not completed of everything that God says is going to happen to this nation. So right now, Israel is an apostate nation. But they're going to have a rebirth, and they're going to become a spiritual nation. They're going to become the people that God intended them to be. And it's going to happen. The place of this birth. Okay, so let's look at Jeremiah. The place of this birth. If you're in Isaiah, the next one is Jeremiah 49:24. The place of this birth. Jeremiah 49:24. So again, when we go to a Bible study, I say it and I say it kind of tongue in cheek, and, and maybe uh, some people get offended by it. But you know, I heard about somebody. He, he said that somebody came to his church. It's a guy who sits in my class in, in Marietta Bible College. He's a pastor at a church and and uh, been pastoring for many years. He just likes to come in and sit in on the classes. And he's talking about a guy who came to his church. And he said, well, I left such and such a church. And he said, well, why'd you leave there? He said, well, I got offended. And then he said, then I went to this other church and, uh, well, things didn't go well there. And so I, you know, I'm looking for another church. So I thought I'd come in and visit you all's church. And he said, well, what, what happened there? And he said, well, something happened. I was offended. And he's like, I just know it's just only going to be a matter of time before this guy gets offended, and then he up and leaves my church. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for something to get offended about around here, it's going to happen eventually, you know. The devil's going to make sure it does so that you don't stay put and grow somewhere. But, uh, you know, it can be kind of offensive. But this is, in a Bible study, I don't want to sit around a table and say, well, well, Joe, what does this say to you? What do you think this says? And well, Pam, I'll just use her name because I know she wouldn't get mad at me. Pam, what do you think this says? Well, this says to me, okay, well, uh, Jill, what do you think this says? Well, this says to me, I don't want to know that. I don't care what you think it says or what it says to you. 
I want to know what does the Bible say about it. And then, once we understand that, then we can talk about how it speaks to your heart, personally, you know, in a devotional way. But I've been in Bible studies like that, and you don't learn a thing, a cotton-picking thing about the Bible, or a, to pay, a tomato-picking thing. Jeremiah 49:24. Um, Damascus is waxed feeble, and uh, turneth... Wait a minute. Jeremiah 49:24. Okay. Damascus is waxed feeble, and turneth herself to flee, and fear hath seized on her, anguish and sorrows have taken her as a woman in travail. You see it? Okay, so you know we're in tribulation territory. How is the city of praise not left? The city of my joy. Therefore her young men shall fall in her streets, and all the men of war shall be cut off in that day, saith the Lord of hosts. And I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, and it shall consume the palaces of Ben-Hadad. And the Lord talking here, now look at... uh, Chapter 50, verse 43, the city of praise, city of my joy. Chapter 50, verse 43. And we're following uh, Jeremiah's prophecy now. The king of Babylon hath heard the report of them, and his hands waxed feeble, anguish took hold of him, and pangs as of a woman in travail. You see that again? Travail. Uh, Behold, it's talking about travailing in birth. This is the rebirth of the nation of Israel, like a woman that's given birth. Behold, he shall come up like a lion from the swelling of Jordan unto the habitation of the strong, but I will make them suddenly run away from her. That's talking about the Lord's coming back, Armageddon. And who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? For who is like me? And who will appoint me the time? And who is the shepherd, that shepherd, that will stand before me, well, nobody, and then certainly not the, uh, the false shepherd or the Antichrist. Therefore hear ye the counsel of the Lord that he hath taken against Babylon and his purposes that he hath purposed against the land of the Chaldeans. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. So he's talking about the Lord coming back and dealing with Babylon, but in the context of the travailing woman, that's not Babylon, Babylon. That's the mystery religion and government of Babylon, a church-state government and the mystery religion of Babylon, which has been going ever since the Tower of Babel. It's, the whole world is a story of that. If you didn't know that, the whole Bible is a story of that too. The mystery religion of, of Babel and, uh, and the true faith and religion of the book, pure religion, and the religion of God's people Israel, which is absolutely a religion it is a religion folks you don't have a religion right now but what they had was god walked with them they will dwell with god there will be no living by faith in the kingdom they'll be living by sight and god is coming and that's a religion living by sight with god as their king and uh and the whole world will come up to jerusalem to worship him and to be blessed of israel and if they don't you know, they won't get rain on their crops and so on and so forth. But there's this religion of Babylon, which is Satan trying to get religion, uh, get worship for himself. Therefore, if you worship a false uh, religion like Catholicism, Islam, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, go, go right on down the road or down the line. Any one of these, Zoroastrianism, you know, like 
Uh, astrology is real big. The New Age stuff, all that secret stuff, that's New Age mysticism, all that stuff. What is that? That's nothing less than ancient mystery Babylon. And that religion is going to be Babylon revived in that religion. That's what the Lord is coming back to put out. And so if you give your heart to that, well, you're not giving your heart to the Lord and the devil's gotten what he wants. And so what, that's what the Lord's coming back to put down and he's going to put it down in a, a particular place. We read about the Jordan River there. We're getting close to it. So chapter 30, verse 6 of Jeremiah. Chapter 30 and verse 6. And it says here, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 6. Let's look at verse 4. Okay. Now let's let's go all the way back to verse 1. You'll you'll see a little bit more of what I'm talking about. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. You see? That's how God speaks to us. He wanted Jeremiah to write them down in a book so somebody could read it out loud into the ears of the people. And God says, That's what I want done. That's my will. And that's what we're doing tonight. And that should be the majority, the bulk of a Bible study. You say, how do you know that? Well, we know it from this right here. We know it from the whole Bible, the premium that God puts on his words. And then I was just recently, I've, I've been going through a course of uh, the history of uh, biblical theology. And they're talking about in the second century, a guy by the name of Justin Martyr. You might have heard of him. He, his last name wasn't Martyr, but he got that name because he was martyred. But he was a philosopher, very intelligent guy, and then he got saved. And then he became uh, like, kind of like an apologist or somebody who was defending the Christian faith. And so he wrote a letter to the Roman emperor to defend the Christian faith. And Christians were being persecuted terribly. And they were being accused of meeting in secret. And they were, they were saying they meet in secret and they're cannibals and uh, they're doing... Weird things when they meet in secret and sensual things. And, uh, of course, they weren't doing any of that, but they were just saying the more they met in secret, the more that they would gossip about him, and the more they were persecuted. So he made a defense to say, this is what we actually believe. This is what actually happens in our meetings. Would you like to know what happened in a church meeting in the second century? You know, the 100s? Well, he tells what happens. He said, when we first get together, the reader will read from the prophets. That's what we're reading. And he will read from the prophets, and then he'll read from the memoirs of the apostles, which is what they were calling the apostles' teachings. But he's talking to a Roman governor, so he's referring to it in terms that, uh, according to this historian anyways, that the Roman governor would understand. And he called the person who presided over the meeting the president. That was the pastor. He presided over the meeting, but there was a reader. And he said that they would read scripture for as much time as was permitted. Try to do that, in, in, and that's on Sunday morning. Try to do that in any church in America on Sunday morning. People can't handle it. They can't pay attention. They can't, you, you read, start reading two or three verses, and their mind is just, woo, out there. Been watching TV for too long, listening to the radio or something. I don't know, but that's what happened. And you, they read from the Word of God, and of course they didn't all have their own Bibles, but these days, how many people actually read their Bibles, even though they have them in their homes? But uh, so they made sure they got the Bible. And then after reading for as much time would permit, 
then the president would get up and he would give a, uh, a sermon and encourage the people to practice the things that they heard about and to apply the things to their lives. So it was, it was practical. And then they would have prayers. They'd have congregational prayer. Everybody would stand and so on and so forth. And everybody, anybody that wanted to pray, the men, would pray. It was congregational prayer. It wasn't just a man standing up here and praying for everybody else. So, um, and if that's, if that's the case, and Justin Martyr uh, was very, very close to the Apostle John and his, and then you have before him a guy named uh, Papias, and he was a, a, a disciple of the apostles. These guys were very, very close. That's how the apostles, evidently, you could you know, kind of put one thing after another, and it's reasonable to say that that's probably the way that the apostles set up worship. There was reading of Scripture. It's not a Catholic thing. It's a, it's a Christian thing. So that's my rant. Let me get back to reading now. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord. I, I shouldn't apologize for the things I... I say, but that I will bring again the captivity of my people. You see, again, that's, that's tribulation talk. The captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land. That started to happen, but not yet, not like it's going to. That I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. But before 1948, that seemed like that was just a dream. Like that couldn't happen. And then look what happened. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins, as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned in paleness, into paleness. Alas, for that, gr- for that day is great." so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. So where is it going to happen? It's going to happen in the land of Israel. Now the timing of this, of this uh, birth is during the Great Tribulation. If you look back at chapter 4 of Jeremiah, it's during the Great Tribulation. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 31. The timing of it. We've already seen that, but we'll just look at this one since we're in the book. Uh, we saw the travail. We saw that, the uh, reference to Daniel's 70th week, the Great Tribulation. Now, Jeremiah 4.31 says here, For I have heard a voice as of a woman in travail, and the anguish as of her that bringeth forth her first child. See, we're right back to that again. Jeremiah 4.31. Bringeth forth her first child, the voice of the daughter of Zion, that believeth, or that bewaileth herself, that spreadeth her hands, saying, Woe is me now, for my soul is wearied because of murders. And the place is Jerusalem. And we read about it there in, in Isaiah 66. But the place is Jerusalem, or 65:18. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem. Isaiah 55:18. I create Jerusalem, a rejoicing, and her people, a joy. Now, 
The timing of this birth, we looked at several references. It's the time of the Great Tribulation within context of what I'm reading. It's not 1948 of May. May of 1948, it's the Great Tribulation. It's Jerusalem. Clear reference to I create Jerusalem. A rejoicing. And right now, Jerusalem is spiritually called. We looked at this last time, but Revelation 11, verse 8. Right now, Jerusalem is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. Revelation 11, verse 8. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Okay? 70 AD, the Lord says, I'm done with Judaism. I'm done with temple worship. So therefore, Titus, Roman emperor, comes in with his armies and lays waste and sacks Jerusalem. Jerusalem is done. Okay? The temple is done. That's how God feels about it right now. In the tribulation... Jerusalem will spiritually be called Sodom and Egypt. Why? Why will it spiritually be called Sodom and Egypt in the tribulation period? Because of unbelief? Yes, sir. Uh huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Somebody give me another one. Egypt represents the world. It's a type of the world in the Bible. Yeah. So this will be this will be a world religion going going in there, and um, the uh, Pharaoh was he's the greatest one of the greatest types of the Antichrist in the Bible. So the Antichrist will be in Jerusalem. He will stand up in the temple and declare himself to be God. He'll be running the world. It'll be a one-world order, Antichrist running the thing. Um, you think people are impressed with Trump. Wait till you see how impressed they will be with the Antichrist. Um, yeah, and, he will, and the Lord will send a strong delusion. They'll believe a lie. Why is it called, and that's a great, way to, great reason why it's called Egypt. Why is it called Sodom? Well, the Antichrist will also, it appears, he'll be a sodomite. And if, like my buddy, uh, he's a pastor up in Orville, Ohio, and he works for Cintas, and he drives around all day in this truck, and he pulled up, one of his last stops the other day, he pulled up in front of a uh, first Christian church. And, and it uh, had on its doors, on every door, have you seen those stickers that say coexist and they have all of the world religion symbols on them? Well, on each one of those doors, it had one of those symbols. So you'd have Islam and Christianity and you know, all this different kind of stuff, you know, astrology and so on. Um, and then it had hanging over it these furrowing uh, banners, you know, of uh, the gay pride flags. And so that right there, basically that's a Christian church that's gone Unitarian. So that's a uni or universalist Unitarian church. The religion of the last days will be Mystery Babylon religion revived, and it will encompass everything. It will encompass everything. And how you're going to get Muslims together with people who are okay with that stuff, because they'll kill you for being a sodomite in, in their countries where they have the Sharia. And so um, how they're going to get that together, I don't know, but the Lord's going to do it, and uh, he's going to use the Antichrist to do it. 
and it's going to be Sodom because it's going to be the, I mean, it's going to be the Antichrist in the temple. So spiritually, it's unclean, okay? Um, that's what's going to happen in the tribulation. So Israel is not what it's going to be. But they're going to, there's going to be a rebirth of that nation. It'll be a spiritual, and it won't happen until the Lord comes back. And when the Lord is getting ready to come back, we've been reading about Egypt, Assyria, Egypt, Assyria. We've been reading about those two because when in the middle of the tribulation, the Lord told the Jews, when you see that abomination of desolation stand up in the temple, run for your life. Run for the hills, right? If you're up on the housetop, stay up on the housetop. If you're not, run, pray that you're not with child and all that kind of stuff. Pray it's not in winter. He's saying, get out. So they're going to go to Egypt. They're going to go to Assyria and all that kind of stuff. And back in Hosea where we were reading, the foolish son that we read in the end of that verse, the foolish son can be nothing else other than the Jews that, that don't leave Jerusalem and don't leave Judea. They're the foolish ones. He says, uh, the unwise son. I'm sorry? Yeah. Yes. Same thing, and they're, they're in America, and they're not going to go back. Exactly. So when the Lord does come back, there will be a rapture, and it's, it's angels who gather. And that's different than the church rapture. The, there's nothing said about angels gathering us, but there's angels who gather the Jews and bring the, them. It was a Jewish Right. Right. Yes. And they've, they've got to be there for the things that the Lord said to take place. And so they are partially there. And there is a nation there. But it's not like it's going to be. That's what I'm saying. And it's not the city of the great king. But we read about in Jeremiah all those things about the, the city. And it's not that way yet. Right now it's... Uh, right. Right. Right now it's rejected by the Lord. Yeah. And the unwise son... Uh, if there's ever a Jew listening to this study after the church is gone, who knows, maybe they're on sermon audio listening to John Westover, <laughs> a first-time pastor in Racine, Ohio, teach about Hosea, and I'm talking to some Jew in, in Jerusalem, get out of Jerusalem. Get out of Jerusalem. Don't, don't follow the uh, religion of that uh, Antichrist. Yeah. Yep. Read read Matthew twenty four. That is not directed to the church, and uh, that stuff's directed to the the Lord's people, the nation of Israel. And uh, so, chapter thirteen, verse fourteen. Now, I will ransom them, ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Now, if you compare that with what Paul said 
in 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll hold my place there because I'm going to be going back to it. Paul used that verse and he applied it to the church. Now here's a lesson for you about Bible study. Paul applied that to the church and he said it this way. And when I read it this way, you're going to say, oh, yeah, that sounds familiar. Um, so when the corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Hosea 13, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul took that and he applied it to the church spiritually. But doctrinally, doctrinally, it applies to Israel. So when you read your Bible, you've got three applications. You'll have a doctrinal application. Who does this teaching apply to? Who does it apply to first? It applies to Israel, tribulation, that's the context. Okay? Is there a practical application for the church? There is in the whole Bible. There's a practical application to the church. Okay, the historical setting is that Assyria is getting ready to come in and sack Samaria. That's a historical setting. So you've got a doctrinal, practical, and historical. So he says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. Again, future, I will. The word ransom, this is referring to the restoration of Israel at the close of the tribulation period, or Daniel's 70th week. And... Um, this is, it's looking at a post-tribulation resurrection of Jewish saints. So what you have is you have the cross. And this is what I'm going to show you, and I'm just going to take the next lesson to look at it. But uh, what you have is you have the cross, and you have a resurrection that happened right after the cross. And that was of the Lord and some Old Testament saints. Then you have at the end of the church age, you got 2,000 years of the church age. And then you have another resurrection that we call the rapture of the church. Then you have seven years of the tribulation, and you have another resurrection. The tribulation begins and ends with the resurrection. This resurrection is what he's talking about here. I'll ransom you. And this is, a, these are, this is three parts, and we've studied this before. We studied the first resurrection. Remember when I was trying to make a big deal out of, uh, the Bible teaches more than just one general final resurrection. The Bible teaches that there are several resurrections. Remember that? And I tried to prove that, and I tried to say, I tried to show you from the scriptures where it says, Jesus says, blessed is he that taketh part in the first resurrection. On, and I can't remember exactly, but uh, on such... The uh, second death doesn't have any power. And then, uh, then, so there's a first resurrection, and then there's, a, there's the last general resurrection. The first resurrection is in three parts. So I'm showing them to you. Three parts. One, two, three. And we'll look at these verses eventually. But this part right here is the first fruits. This one of the church is the harvest. That's why he says, look on the fields... Fields are, the harvest is white, it's ripe, ready for harvest. That's the church age rapture. And then you have the gleanings. The gleanings. Now, when I say gleanings, everybody remembers. Old Testament, 
the laws on the fields, right? You had to leave the corners of the fields for the gleanings. The whole Bible, it just, it just all fits together. It's incredible. It's incredible. Like Isaiah, the 66 chapters, it's just incredible. You have the gleanings. Um, that's what he's talking about. I'm going to ransom you. We're going to look more at that next time. But um, we, uh, we looked at what it said about there being 2,000 years. If you want to look in Hosea chapter uh, 4. Was it Hosea 4 where it said 2,000 years? Um, let me see. See if you can find it. Was it Hosea 6? Okay, yeah, Hosea 6, verse 2. Hosea 6, verse 2. After two days will he revive us. That's the restoration of the nation of Israel. In other words, God's going to revive the nation of Israel. In other words, they're going to have a rebirth. In other words, God's not done with the nation of Israel. So they're going to be made what he finally wants them to be. So after two days, we looked at that, we compared that with Peter. Those are two millennial days. So after 2,000 years, after 2,000 years, will he revive us? In the third day, will he raise us up? Okay? 2,000 years of the church age. The third day, 1,000 year millennial reign of Christ. In the third day, Will he raise us up? The dead tribulational saints are going to be resurrected. The ones that are living are going to walk right on into the kingdom. On the third day, he will raise us up, and the nation will be revived and reborn. The nation of Israel is going to rule the world with a Jewish king from Jerusalem for 1,000 years in the third day. You say, What? You, you say, You're talking crazy. You say, You are just out there. This doesn't have any application to me. Oh, it don't? Let me tell you something. If he came up 2000, if he came up in 30, A.D. 30, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, if he came up in 30, 2,000 years later, 2030, if that's the case, you go back seven years from 2030, I'm not dating anything, I'm just saying generally, if you go back from 2030, seven years, where are you? 2023. Let's just say it was, and then the, ca- the calendars are not right. The calendars are all messed up. But if you go by a Jewish calendar, you're probably better off, but they're all messed up. But let's say it's 33. You go back seven years, you know, you're, uh, you're looking at the Lord coming back. And uh, let's just say you, you're like, okay, Let's suppose he comes back in 2030. Let's suppose that. Okay, what are you going to do with the next nine years to try to give as much of your life to the Lord as you possibly can to earn rewards for the judgment seat of Christ uh, until he comes back and he wraps this whole thing up? And what if I'm wrong? You know, and and there's high likelihood that uh, I could be, but what if it's just today? We're supposed to expect him to return. It's imminent, like it could happen at any time. But I'm just saying, what if, just, just saying, what if you only had nine years? What would you do with those nine years? Would you live it for yourself, or would you live it for the Lord? What if he comes back in 2050? Still. Yeah. 
the generation, and if that's from 1948, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. And so there's got to be a generation. And there's also, the, it could be that that applies to the generation in the tribulation, but either or, you could, you could take both of them. And I think he doesn't want us to know for sure. But I'm just saying, what if that was the case? You know, are you going to live for yourself for the next so many years? But, but what I would recommend is every time Paul starts talking about the resurrection and the rapture, he always says, therefore, you know, he, he, like I'll read it from 1 Corinthians 15. I don't want to misquote it. He always says there's a practical application. Every doctrine has this duty. And this stuff is not just heady, you know, Bible student stuff. Students of prophecy, you know, geek out on this stuff. No, it's got, a, it's got an application. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then he says in the same chapter, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So can you imagine the Lord saying, I have to say some things to your shame at the judgment seat of Christ. You know, because you wouldn't wake up and uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't serve me uh, during that time. And I gave you that opportunity and uh, there's going to be a judgment for our works. So let's, let's close this up. We're already done. We're out of time. But he says, I'm going to ransom. I'm going to ransom you. And what is a ransom? A ransom is a price paid. A price paid. That's what a ransom is. It's the price paid for our redemption. What is redemption? That means to be bought back to be repurchased. That means Jesus purchased you with His own blood. He says you're bought with a price. Now glorify God in your body because you're bought with a price. It all has a practical application. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank You tonight for this study. I thank You for the pure words of God. And Lord, uh, I'm sorry tonight for having a chip on my shoulder. And Lord, I, I thank You for these things though. And uh, Lord, I just thank you that I still have some fight in me. And I pray, Lord, you'd help all of us to fight against the flesh, strive against sin, strive against this world, and, and being lulled to sleep by the vanity fair of this world. Help us just to be pilgrims, strangers. Help us to be signs pointing people to Jesus Christ, trying to show them how to get home to heaven. And Lord, when you come, I pray that we'll all be faithful and uh, that we'll all be found waiting and watching and serving you. We thank you so much for dying for us. Thank you for the perfect work of Calvary in uh, paying the ransom for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.